When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hi everyone, welcome to Dan's Nose History here. I'm on Plymouth Hoe, the great maritime city of southwest England. I'm looking out over Drake Island, looking out of the Great Bay, Plymouth Sound, imagining... Sir Francis Drake and Lord Howard of Effingham leading the ships out here in the summer of 1588 against the Spanish Armada that had just been sighted off the Lizard Point. Um, I got my back to the, the giant Stuart fortifications that were built on top of the hoe here. It is one of the great sites. It's also the place where 400 years ago the Mayflower left this autumn, this fall. I'm here at the moment to kick off this season of commemoration. 400 years since that ship that has come to symbolise the gigantic movement of people across the Atlantic from the 17th century onwards, with all the attendant demographic, strategic, colonial repercussions on both sides of the Atlantic. There'll be a big Mayflower 400 podcast coming out next week, talking to all sorts of experts and descendants, both the pilgrims and, of course, of the Aboriginal uh, First Nations, North Americans, uh, who helped them through that first winter, but who would pay a terrible price uh, for their hospitality. This podcast is a repeat. This is one of our, our weekly repeat podcasts. It's a, a trip I took a few years ago to Florida when I looked around the Castillo de San Marcos. It is the oldest masonry fort in the USA. It's in St. Augustine in, in Florida. It was begun in 1672, by which stage the city had already been there, but the settlement had already been there for over 100 years. And it was built, obviously, because of... English raids down that coast. I was shown around by Alan Arnold. He's an interpretive ranger for the National Park Service. Uh, It was a wonderful experience. I think it gets us in the mood to think about European colonisation on the North American continent. If you want to listen to other back episodes of this podcast, please uh, go to History Hit TV. It's like Netflix for history. It's got all the podcasts on there, hundreds of documentaries on there, all sorts of good stuff. If you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you get a month for free and your second month for just one pound, euro or dollar. But in the meantime, everyone, here is Alan Arnold taking me round the Castillo de San Marcos. Enjoy. (laughs) 
tell me about this fort, because I came here as a child, and it's, I've been obsessed with it ever since, because it's one of the finest early modern forts anywhere in the world, and surprisingly, it's right here in the USA. You wouldn't expect it. Uh, no, you wouldn't. Matter of fact, even when you learn history here in the U.S., um, it usually begins with Europeans landing in Jamestown, 1607. Well, 42 years before that, the Spanish were landing and founding St. Augustine. 42 years. I jokingly will say to a lot of visitors who are surprised to see that, that by the time they were stepping off ships and figuring out that it was going to be tough to survive up there, the Spanish were going through urban renewal in St. Augustine. <laughs> Amazing. So this is the old, it's called the oldest city in the United States of America, and, and that's because it is. Yeah, it's, it's the, it's, well, there are little caveats to that, okay. of course. You know, when you're dealing with historians, you want to be as, as precise as possible. So it is the oldest continuously settled European colony in North America. Of course, the Spanish tried several other times to colonize on the west coast of Florida, and they failed. So this one, as of 451 years, still strong. Looking strong. And as a result, people should come here. And you actually have to see it to believe it, don't you? It, it, it does feel almost like a late medieval European settlement. Yes, yes. A lot of, lot of people, uh, first thing they ask is, why don't you have water in your moat? Which is one of the funny things. Yes, it does uh, have the very kind of a medieval feel to it. But, you know, as fortifications uh, change, as technology changes, uh, you end up with something like this, which uh, this design is actually called Trace Italian or Star Fort. And um, it's really perfect for artillery fire, which is what the Spanish were concerned with when they were building it. Of course, um, the base of the walls would be the things you'd want to protect against artillery fire because enough shots at that base will bring down the whole wall. So you want to build a berm around the fort to intercept that cannon fire. Well, you don't want that berm to be right up against your walls, so you spread it out a little bit. And in result, you have a moat a little covered way, and then you have that, that hill that we walked up when we came up here um, around the fort. Um, it's called a glacis. So those things, even though it's you know, not a water-filled moat, it was a useful area. Yeah, I mean, it, this fort, we should save people, a, you know, that sort of star-shaped fort, like the, the French under Vauban built them famously in the Low Countries. It feels like you're in Europe here. What is the history of the fort here? Was there, a, was there an earlier fort and this was an expansion and enlargement on it? Yes, matter of fact, this is the 10th fortification here in St. Augustine. Um, the nine previous fortifications were all wood. So, of course, there's not much left of them here in Florida. Um, wood just doesn't last. And, and when, when did they start building this one? Um, this one, uh, October 2nd of 1672, and this was kind of on the, the heels of a couple of events. Um, in 1686, St. Augustine was attacked by Robert Searle, pirate. Um, and then in 1670, Charleston was founded, that, that colony, that English colony just to the north um, that basically put those, those fighting forces within striking range of Spanish Florida, and they realized their wooden forts then would be little more than, I'd say, a speed bump to an organized force. So they, you know, it's either we better build a serious fortification now or prepare to give up Florida. And so this, I guess, we, I, I didn't think about that, but we are sitting at the very northern tip of this mighty Spanish North American empire, are we? Yes, yes, exactly. And you know, one of the biggest uh, things that I try and, and, and get people to understand is the importance of this area, because it's really not apparent when you are here in Florida. I mean, Florida uh, has a lot of mosquitoes, alligators, swamps, things like that, but doesn't have any of the things that you would associate with Spanish uh, colonies, things like gold, and silver, and spices. So it does beg that question, why here? Well, 
It doesn't take long to figure out, once you do a little bit of reading about how the Spanish were doing things, that in order to get all the gold and silver and spices they were getting in South America and Mexico back to Spain, you needed a route. And that route was just off the coast of Florida. It was that Gulf Stream, um, that very large oceanic current. It starts in the Gulf of Mexico, makes its way around the tip of Florida, then up the east coast of Florida at three to five miles an hour. Um, and then it widens and heads east across the Atlantic Ocean. A three to five mile an hour current back then basically doubles the speed of any ship along it. It's essentially their super highway. So holding on to Florida basically is that insurance policy for those treasure fleets. St. Augustine is famous not just for being the, the longest continuous settlement, but it then exchanged hands a few times, doesn't it? I mean, the history of Florida is very, very interesting. I think not many people know about this. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, there have been... Um, just over this fort, this, this 345-year-old fort has had six different flags flying over it. Um, and each, were the, each of those, those changes brought upon pretty, pretty large noticeable difference in this city. Um, but the common thread between them all is that they didn't change through force of action. It wasn't by the tip of the sword. It was by quill. It was treaty talks that transferred power here in Florida. Um, and you can thank the power of this fortification to, to being that. So this, so this fort was never successfully besieged? Um, correct. Um, it, it defended itself. It was laid siege to several times. Um, but in all those accounts, the Spanish were able to fend off uh, the attackers. This fortification, this settlement, and indeed this, well, this, this territory would remain Spanish until when? Uh, until 1763, and that's at the end of the Seven Years' War. Um, the British had successfully taken uh, Havana, Cuba, as well as Manila over in the Philippines, and both of those uh, were their hubs for, the respe- for their areas. Um, of course, for the Americas being Havana and, and for uh, Asia being uh, Manila. So they valued it at that point most likely a lot more than Florida, as well as a couple other things, but the British end up getting a hold of Florida at that point, and they would hold on to it for about 21 years. What happens then? Uh, well, then at the end of the Revolutionary War, there's another treaty signed, and that gives Florida back to the Spanish. So there's another peaceful transfer of power. So, And it remains uh, Spanish until when? Um, until 1821. Uh, in 1821, the Adams-Onis Treaty is signed, which gives Florida over to the U.S., and um, there's a, a number of $5 million thrown around. Now, the U.S. didn't pay $5 million for Florida, but um, there was debt forgiveness as well as a couple other economic things that if you wanted to throw a number out, that's about what it was. So U.S. got Florida for $5 bucks. And General Jackson, who became Andrew Jackson, the president, and we got, we got Jacksonville just up the coast mm-hmm. here, he sort of invaded Florida as well, and, and then did, but he, he never captured this, this fort then? No, there was, that was the, the last siege of St. Augustine, so to speak, in 1812. It was called the Patriots' War, and um, it would be, there were skirmishes, but it was nothing like the previous sieges that this fort has seen. There weren't cannonballs being fired at the fort and, you know, long nights of, of siege and stuff like that. Um, it was an occupation of the area that ended in a withdrawal, basically. Okay, so then Andrew Jackson and, and then the following treaty and the uh, $5 million <laughs> figure that goes around. And so after that, did Florida remain part of the United States of America for the rest of history? <laughs> if there wasn't an American Civil War, I would be able to say yes. But there was an American Civil War. So in 1861, uh, this was a Union fortification. And uh, of 
a couple days before the before um, Florida secedes from the Union, um, uh, Confederates show up at, at the door of the fort, and um, well, there's a peaceful transfer of power. Then it's interesting though because during the American Civil War, there's there's not much in the way of fighting over this area because well, to give you an idea, the Union only had one guy here. Tells you how much they valued it at that point. It just wasn't usable. Um, it's no longer defending those trade routes. Um, this port here is a very shallow one, uh, so there's not much trade going on. So it's kind of almost lost its original purpose at that point. But we were still held on to. Um, the Confederacy would hold on to this fort for 14 months before abandoning the area and the Union coming back basically the day after and, and reclaiming it uh, in 1862. So same flag basically since 1862. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, I'm looking for answers to the big questions about every aspect of life in the early modern period. Like, how did the memory of Anne Boleyn continue to influence the court of her daughter, Elizabeth I? How were fairies brought to life on the Elizabethan stage? And how did the arrival of male-only doctors threaten the lives of women? In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Twice a week, every week. Subscribe now and follow me on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, so that's interesting. So was Florida not very well set? It was almost like a, an outpost to deny it to the enemy. It wasn't, it wasn't part of a thriving settlement as it is today. I would, I would almost agree with that. Um, of course, you do have cattle and oranges and indigo and cotton, stuff like that, uh, crops. Uh, agriculturally, it was, it was fairly important supply-wise. Um, but other than that, you know, it's not a, a, the huge you know, insurance policy, so to speak, that it once was. So I guess that's quite interesting. That explains why St. Augustine is, is so wonderfully preserved, because it was a very important place in the 17th, 18th century under Spain, and it then history kind of rolled on, and, and as a result, it was never hugely developed and turned into a you know, huge commercial district or residential. And as a result, we've got this complete jewel left in, uh, in, in northern Florida. Here. Yes, and you know, it's, it's funny that you say that, um, that actually in the late 1800s, um, the Congress, the U.S. Congress, sat down and uh, for the very first time spent $5,000 of federal money to preserve something historical. And that was here at this fort. It set precedence that federal money could be used to preserve history, basically. You're kidding. So this was the first place they spent money on? Yes. And 
as such, you can see why it's in such a good order, why it's been preserved, it's been identified as something that is special, very special. So we've come into another, what, what are these rooms called? Casements. Oh yeah, okay, the casements. So there would have been people sleeping in here or supplies? Yeah, well, during that first Spanish period, this would have been a guard room. Um, it would have been like um, beds in a firehouse, temporary lodgings for whoever was on duty at the time. Um, and it's, uh, there's a huge fireplace in one corner. Look at these, look, you can see this. Is that a ship up there? There's lots yep. of carvings on the wall. What period yep. are these from? Um, we believe that they are from that first Spanish period. They're ships of the line, you know, multi-gunned, multi-decked, Got ships carrying cannon with towering masts and sails. They're, they're amazing, aren't they? Yeah. You can even put this one's got a flag on it. Is that a? Yep, and that looks like a cross of, of Burgundy, that Spanish cross. So we think they're Spanish ships. Now, why would they be carving ships? I suppose it ships the most <laughs> remarkable things that they would have seen, you know, the biggest and most incredible bits of human ingenuity at the time. Perhaps yes. they were very struck by them. Yes, uh, and it, they meant a lot of things to you, whether they, they meant that you were going to get your supplies or you were about to get paid, or they meant that you were about to do your duty as a soldier and defend yourself. So ships, yes, they, they mean quite a lot to if, if you see some tall ships arriving on this scale, something's about to happen. Exactly, exactly break up the, the boredom, perhaps. What, what's this little uh, door over here? This looks like a, a prison cell. Yeah, that's uh, the car cell, the prison cell. Um, and, you know, they're, from time to time, maybe a Spanish soldier that maybe had one too many to drink would be, would be thrown in here. Um, but the really, um, if there are interesting prisoners, the uh, most interesting one would have been during that, once again, that 21 years of, of British occupation. And that was Christopher Gadsden. He was a lieutenant governor of South Carolina. He was a patriot. So during the Revolutionary War. Exactly, exactly. Um, He refused to sign a parole and was imprisoned in this small uh, cell for about 42 weeks. 42 weeks in this cell? Yes. Solitary confinement. That's terrible. You've almost got me sympathizing for the, uh, the rebels and the U.S. Uh, War of Independence now. So he, was, so he was kept in So if he'd signed parole, that would say, I promise not to escape, and he would have been kept in nicer lodgings. Basically. Well, actually, there were three signers of the Declaration of Independence that did sign similar documents, and they were under house arrest in the city. So if the Brits bagged any signers of the Declaration of Independence, any traitors, they were brought down to East Florida and imprisoned, basically. There were three of them, yes, when they attacked uh, Charleston, yes. Amazing. And now we're sitting in uh, a storeroom here. We've got, have we got artillery positions above us? Or? We do. Right. And we do. These would have been, what would this room have been full of? Powder and supplies? So uh, right behind you are some barrels. And oh, yeah. um, those barrels would have been full of rice at one point. Um, each of these rooms would have most likely been uh, housing a, a different supply, whether it's been black powder or food. Um, think of the fort during that first Spanish period as a big warehouse with guns on top of it, kind of like a storm shelter, waiting in preparation. Nobody lives here. They have homes in town. There are guards on duty. But during the, event, the, time, the siege, any siege, any attack, you bring everybody into the fort, and then you have supplies to keep them alive and defend yourself. And what would have been the worst siege that this um, fort withstood? Would it have been a, a British siege during the Seven Years' War? I'm trying to think. Um, so... <laughs> There are two major sieges that happen. Um, The first one would be a 51-day siege. Now, during that time, the entire population of St. Augustine came inside of this fort, which numbered around 1,500. So this fort isn't the largest thing in the world. That's packing it in pretty tight. And they'd be here for 51 days of bombardment. 
Well, they had a lot of supplies then. So I would say that that wasn't the worst siege, so to speak. And when was that one? That was in 1702. Okay, that, during the War of Spanish Succession. Okay, yes, gotcha. yes. Yeah. Um, and then the second siege in 1740. Um, that one would last closer to a month. But St. Augustine, well, it was, running, it was going through a tough time. Supplies, they just didn't have as many as they, as they probably should have had. And Oglethorpe knew this. James Oglethorpe was the, the leader of, of that siege for the, the British. Um, he had spies in St. Augustine that were telling him that this place was running low. I mean, those supply ships weren't coming in. So good time to attack. And he almost takes St. Augustine. There are a couple issues with communication as well as some weather that forces Oglethorpe to break off the attack relatively early. But he came really close to taking St. Augustine because of supplies, not because of the ability to defeat this fort. I'm, I'm always amazed when I'm studying uh, history, of, especially 18th century history in this part of, this part of the world, is most of the outcomes of these expeditions depend on sickness, supplies, weather. And, and you look at... Sam Willis just wrote a brilliant book about the American War of Independence uh, from the naval perspective. And, and there's fleets just being destroyed by hurricanes. Uh, there, there are uh, sickness will rip through a camp like they did in the British Army in Havana in the, in the Seven Years' War. So it, it must have been a brutal place to campaign. Yes, this is definitely not, not a... Uh, <laughs> it's an inhospitable place, to say the least. Um, but, you know, the Spanish, they... They are fairly well prepared for what this land has for them, has in store for them. Um, each of the homes in town, for example, had their own wells. So you don't have communal wells that can, can risk wiping out a colony. Um, you also have uh, a, a form of waste management. You know, this soil here, it's so sandy, there's not much nutrient in it. So you take your waste and you turn it into night soil, basically, um, for your little gardens and whatnot. So that, in effect, has, has that to help with, with illness. Now, we can go back and look at that now. Now, whether they knew back then that that's what they were doing is a whole other story. But um, if you lived past, say, the age of 10 or so, you could live into your 70s here. We have um, records of the, the Spanish soldiers still drawing pensions, still... still uh, into their 70s. So. I guess the Spanish, because they came here first, they must have actually... In Britain, we all learn about how terrifying it was for the Brits to be sent out here and that they got ripped apart by fever. Actually, the Spanish probably had worked out survival strategies as a result of them being there that, that bit longer. I don't have any, uh, any records of that, so to speak, but I think the proof can be shown by this colony that it is here and it was here so early and it stayed you know so well protected um but that's not to say you know saint augustine was a a lively you know lovely place to come because you got to remember it's it's not a hub of wealth here i mean those treasure fleets don't stop by uh, un- unless they're under attack or you know they've been shipwrecked along the coast but yeah no saint augustine is not a uh a really fun place to be as a Spaniard. There's no, not a lot of wealth coming through here. It's a military outpost. So it's sometimes just getting the situado, the, the military pay is a difficult thing here. Um, so these people that were here and that, that stayed here, they were a hardy people for sure. Now, a lot of the buildings, this, this, this fort is obviously 17th century. A lot of the buildings in town look very old. Are they kind of reconstructed or a bit <laughs> disney You tell me. I, I'm kind of interested. Well... 
the last time the city burned down was in 1914. So I think that might answer your questions there. Um, but another interesting thing, bring it back to um, the British connection, is during the 21 years the British were here, this was during the Revolutionary War, and this was a loyalist colony. East Florida, St. Augustine was a loyalist colony. So there are, like, say, 13,000 people that come into this 2,000-person town. So there's expansion. Second stories are added onto buildings. Um, this fort. They knock holes into the wall for ventilation and turn storerooms into bunkhouses, basically. Um, so even the name, St. Augustine. Interesting thing. You know there are Spanish-named colonies here still. You know, We have San Francisco, one of them. San Jose. Well, why don't we call this San Augustine? Well, I don't know if there's a proper answer for that, but think during those 21 years when that new country was being minted just to the north... What did they call this place? It was St. Augustine. So that influence of the British here, but even though they were only here for 21 years, still to this day you can see when you're walking down St. George Street seeing those overhangs that wouldn't have existed during that Spanish period, um, and then you know, the holes in the fort as well as you know, the name. So the British have left a big imprint here. Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it and I hate myself. Please, please go onto iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, basically boosts up the chart, which is good. And then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't want to subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.